This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. Well, good morning, Unity Central Oregon. It's great to be back here in the sanctuary, even though we're all distanced out. I've missed this place. You know, it's hard for us as humans to sit in the space of, I don't know, or I don't know what's going to happen. We're taught over and over and over that we need to figure things out. We need to learn how things work. And in our Western culture, this Western culture, worldly knowledge is so highly valued. And we are trained over and over to to take in that knowledge, to name things and to categorize and to label. And um, we're also in this culture flooded with the push to compare, to compare ourselves with others, to compare things. And we're, we're driven to that through the marketing machine and through the religions of materialism and capitalism and consumerism. And we're given a super structured picture and definition of what it means to be rational. And yet, for many of us, when we sort of spark into a higher awareness of ourselves and everyone else as spiritual beings, often that societal programming is a bit of a rub. It doesn't fit so well with us anymore. My formal education was largely science-based. I got a couple of science-based degrees. And in that environment, you are just really trained that you never end with the outcome of I don't know. In addition to that, prior to my college education, I was raised in a family that had strong opinions. And when one of us wasn't moving our lips, we weren't actually listening. We were reloading. We were getting ready to defend that preconceived opinion. I think it's natural human nature to want to learn, to want to know things, and I think it's a nearly universal human condition to want to be right about the things that we know. The challenge is, in this realm, so often what we think we know to be true turns out not to be true. And I want to share a story um, I promise I won't get grisly with this. But when I was nine or ten, I was in I was uh, I was in the car with my mom and dad in the front, my little brother and I in the back. It was a little Datsun B210 car, and it was a dark, really rainy Friday night. We were we lived way out in the country, and we were headed into town to have dinner with the people who would be my non-DNA grandparents for most of my life. And so we were on a very dark, no Um, lighting, country road. And if you looked, if I, from being in the back of the little car, if I looked, leaned over and looked between my parents' shoulders, I could see the road ahead. And for some reason, I just did that. And the instant I did that, I could see a car coming out of the dark right at us, no headlights on. And my dad whipped our car off the road. And then it just sounded like a bomb went off behind us because that car hit the car right behind us. And it was grisly. What was the point of that story for this talk is that the three of us that saw the car coming, my mom, my dad, and myself, we all at first swore that it was the dark car. There was a white car and a dark car involved. And at first we were sure it was the dark car. But once police arrived and we, everybody started to, pe- to piece out the story, 
it was just the opposite. And it turned out that it was actually the light car. It just didn't have any, any headlights on. And to this day, I now see the light car. But at that moment, I thought it was the dark car. And that really made an impression on me because it, it got me to question more at that relatively early age my senses. Am I, am I always seeing what I think I'm seeing? Have you ever known something, known something, only to realize at some point later that it's just not true? So despite or perhaps because of my this-is-how-it-is upbringing, I, I felt like I could always sense something in the margins, something that was grander and, and more and richer than what I was always being told was true. It was kind of like I could see little flickers of magic in, in the edges, and it really intrigued me, even though my rational mind didn't talk much about it. Well, what I'm learning now, as I'm perhaps becoming more irrational, is that the more we look for magic... The more we open to it, the more it flows to and through in us and around us. And I, and I want to make a distinction. When I'm talking about magic, I'm not talking about something outside of reality. I'm not talking about being reckless and you know, giving up on, on, a, on a hold in this material world. I'm just talking about opening up to the enchantment that reality is so much more than what we know with our five physical senses. Virtually every major world tradition, or world religion, excuse me, has a mystical element. They're the Christian mystics. Sufism is the mystical uh, aspect of Islam. Certainly, our, most of our indigenous um, cultural traditions, spiritual traditions, all tell us that there's so much more to this this go-around, even to this human part of our journey, than what we normally notice. And I also want to clarify, I'm falling more and more in love with the term mystic and mysticism, and I want to clarify that that doesn't mean spooky or hidden or esoteric. It actually comes from the root word mist, M-Y-S-T, which means to close the lips and the eyes. Mystics are, are those of us who don't necessarily need a priest or a church to get to our spiritual truth. We're the ones who kind of like to go more into the quiet and let, and let truth come to us. Now, some of you may know that I am a, a deep student and now teacher, or at least host, of A Course in Miracles, which has so profoundly improved my life. It's almost impossible to, to explain. And for those of you who don't know, every first and third Wednesday evening, I host a, um, a Course in Miracles study group. It's really, it's really a study group. It's a chance for us to dig in together to this rich, rich body of work. Two of the many core teachings in a course are that we are not just these physical bodies, and that our body's eyes are not what give us true sight. The Course makes a difference between sight and vision with a capital V. And it teaches that reality actually really only occurs at the level of spirit. So think about this through the quantum physics lens, which I just find fascinating. 
all matter is made up of atoms. And atoms are 99% empty space. If you hold your hand up in front of you and look at your hand, it is 99% empty space. Now, I know that that is very hard to grok. It's very hard to get the human mind around that. But it's so cool if you think about it. And what does that mean for sight? So famed physicist um, uh, David Bohm explained that the things that we think we see, it's actually connecting rays of light that are moving back and forth. It's energetic. And then it kind of freezes into a pattern. And we see pattern after pattern after pattern. But it's actually not solid. It's all empty Space. I think it is so cool to live at a time when high science and mysticism are meeting. Even our bodies, which certainly feel solid, aren't. Our stomach lining is replaced every five or six days. Our outer layer of our skin is new every few weeks. Six months from today, you won't have the same lungs that you have right now. It's all moving, it's all, it's all space. The Course also teaches that a miracle is not something outside the laws of physics. It's not, it's not some magical experience. It's actually a correction in error thinking. It's an alignment with a diviner truth. Course also teaches that if miracles aren't just flowing through our lives we're a little out of whack. There's another piece in the course that I have found incredibly helpful, and it teaches us to unlearn. It teaches that a couple of the most powerful statements we can make are, I don't know, and perhaps there's another way to look at or think about or feel about this. It, It gives us tools to choose another lens. Now, earlier this winter, I was very worried. For the first time in all my many years in central Oregon, the hummingbirds didn't migrate from my yard. And it was getting colder, and I still had hummingbirds. And I'm nature girl, so I'm very concerned now that they had missed their, their migration window. And every morning, I would put out unfrozen sugar water, you know, and just hope. And then we had our real cold spell, And I was really worried about them. And hummingbirds do go into what they call a torpor. It's kind of like a a hibernation where they can really slow their metabolism down. But when they come out of that, they're ravenous. So I was concerned, and we had that cold snap. And then I had to go out of town for a while. I wasn't there to replace the frozen sugar water. And good gracious, I didn't know what I was going to find when I got back. Well, I got back. The next morning, I'm out meditating in my little hot tub. I've, I've replaced the sugar water, and there's the hummingbirds again. They're fine. So in that moment, I decided to, to stop worrying about them and just celebrate them, and maybe to believe that they were there to give me extra joy in this crazy winter that we're all having. I chose miracle-mindedness. So one of the I'm going to share three steps, really, that, I have, that I'm finding useful in more often getting into miracle-mindedness. And the first one is unlearning. It's what I now call radical humility. It's the ability to take that, that I don't know or who knows attitude to a deeper level. 
a few years ago, I had the the great good fortune to be able to go to a Seattle Seahawks game. That's one of my guilty pleasures are the Seahawks. Um, and we, my, my, my partner, my life partner and I, we got to go at a VIP package because a friend of ours was on part of the medical team for the for the um, Seahawks. So we were down on the fleet, on the field, got to go into the lounge, got to watch the players warm up, all of that. My older brother lives in Seattle, and he is somewhat physically and cognitively differently old. And um, I thought, how cool for him. He, he doesn't get out much. And so I was able to bring him to this experience, which turned out to not be very good for him at all. It was way too loud. It was overwhelming. He wound up going back inside the lounge and basically sleeping through the entire game. When we got ready to go, however, it was an absolute traffic jam nightmare down there. We couldn't even get back to our car. We never would have been able to get the car out of there at that point. My brother doesn't drive. He hasn't for years. He gets around Seattle on bus, foot, and bike. So he took the lead. He knew exactly how to walk us from Quest Stadium, I think it was at the time, down a route that would get us out of the traffic and get us back up to the hotel without having to climb all the big hills. He, at that point, had a skill set that was better suited to those conditions. We also tell ourselves that animals are lesser than humans. But the truth is, they have mind-blowing abilities and capacities that we don't have. So radical humility is the ability to move through life more from an expectation of finding and witnessing the talent and the, and the magnificence of everyone, of ourselves and everyone we interact with. You know, perhaps my hummingbirds at some level, my hummingbirds, at some level just knew that we were going to have a mild winter. And they could hang out here and drink my sugar water and eat bugs and be fine. Maybe they, they just knew. Another, another key piece of miracle-mindedness, and the, and the Course is really strong on this, is the, is the concept of getting above the battlefield or noticing when we're creating a battlefield that doesn't need to be there. If you tie a tin can, I'm, 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 don't ever try this at home. If you try a tin can to a dog's tail, the dog will run around, usually, freaked out and terrified, not realizing it's making its own terror. And if it just stops, the terrible situation, the terrifying situation goes away. We so often do that to ourselves. And there's actually a whole section in the course called Above the Battle, Battleground, and I want to read just a little section from it. Be lifted up and from a higher place look down upon it, upon the situation. From there will your perspective be quite different. Here in the midst of it, it does seem real. Have you, here you have chosen to be part of it. Here, murder is your choice. Yet from above, the choice is miracles instead. And the perspective coming from this choice shows you the battle is not real and can be easily escaped. That right there, that above the battlefield um, teaching has helped me so much more readily when I am upset to be able to step out and say, 
Is this a battle I really need to engage? Am I just sacrificing my peace here when I don't need to be? And by the way, if I find anybody doing the tie the thing to the dog's tail, there will be a real battlefield. I'm just, I'm just laying that out there. <laughs> the final piece I want, I want to share today is um, the final piece of miracle-mindedness that I'm finding useful is the concept of reclaiming our child mind. You know, Jesus advised, truly I say to you, unless you choose and change and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven, unlike what I was taught as a little child, is not some place up there in heaven. It's a state of consciousness. It's a place that we can get to even right here in this human part of our journey. It's a place noted for peace and joy and ease and abundance and it is our birthright but we don't we we start to forget that so readily you know if you think about it this is what i think jesus was 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 getting to all little children unless they're in terrible circumstances they all have a natural expectation of being cared for they have a natural expectation of Everything's just going to work out miraculously. They know that they are dependent upon some higher power. At that point, it's their you know, caretakers. And they're totally cool with that. The concept of getting into our child mind is not a lessening or a letting go of knowledge or whatever. It's actually a reclaiming of knowing our natural state of being supported by universe, God, source, whatever, whatever it is that we think of, by this greater spiritual reality that is all around us. So radical humility, which includes unlearning, getting above and certainly not creating unnecessary battlefields, battlegrounds, and reclaiming our child-mindedness are really powerful practices um, for being in miracle-mindedness. You know, the Course says that miracles arise in the mind that is ready for them. Enchantment is all around us. The question is, are we going to choose an enchanted lens? A couple of weeks ago, I uh, went out to Tumalo Reservoir to go for a hike out there. For some reason, that place has always felt fairly sacred to me, even though it's kind of a man-made construct. And I, this time it was a, just a little sad because it was really dry. There was literally just a, a puddle of water in this whole reservoir. And I hiked over to it, and I... I guess I blessed the water. I thanked the water for what it does for us, this little pool, little puddle of water. And I expressed gratitude, and I felt a oneness with it. And I respectfully talked to the water elementals, and I, and I said, you know, we need more of you. We really, we really could use some of your buddies to come here. And it was really dry here, and we needed the snowpack and all of that. And I went on, and I had a great hike and whatnot, and the next morning I woke up to the first real snow in central Oregon of the season. Now, coincidence? Maybe. Did I channel in a miracle? Maybe. Maybe it was that. Now, our cultural belief system will tell us that that's not very rational, right? It'll, 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 it'll 
trigger the ego part of us, the little personality part of us to start to question, gosh, if I talk about this, maybe someone will think I'm nuts. Maybe they won't like me. Maybe I'll embarrass myself. Well, embarrassed, humiliated, been there, done that, still standing. You know, aren't most of us? That whole, that whole day had an added layer of richness and enchantment in the snow because of my experience of playing with the elementals and that whole concept. So added richness, added loveliness. What could possibly be wrong with that? Those concerns of am I, am I, am I being irrational Is someone going to think it's a little crazy? Those are the concerns that keep us small and that keep us from being at a level of being open to miracles. The key here is vision and not just sight. I have one more bit of a story. Jacques Lucerin was born in 1921 in Paris, and at eight years old, he had an accident that left him blind. At 17 years old, still blind, he formed a, a resistance group to take on the Nazi um, control of, of um, the Nazi occupying France. And it's said that he used his heightened senses to be able to pick exactly the right recruits for that resistance movement. He eventually wound up getting caught. He was taken to a concentration camp. He survived that, and he wrote a book that is highly regarded in spiritual realms. It's called And There Was Light. And I want to read how he describes how he went about navigating his way among other life forms after he was blinded. And he says, It's more than seeing them. It is tuning in on them and allowing the current they hold to connect with one's own like electricity. It means the end of living in front of things and a beginning of living with them. And famed Buddhist Jack Cornfield noted that enlightenment is actually an intimacy with all things. The lens we choose to view the events of our lives affect our experience more than the events themselves. We can choose the kingdom of heaven. We can choose a magical kingdom. We can choose a world of infinite possibility. That is within our power. Why not live fully with life rather than just in front of it? So I ask you, in closing, what miracles are you going to notice and allow and receive today? Thank you.